Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, as always, lots of news to talk about from the NHL, lots of news to talk about when it comes to our Toronto Maple Leafs. But first off, how's it going today? It's going good. It's going really, really good. I know last week, because it was like the whole Pokemon, you know, anniversary this is me delving into my nerdy side right now, but like getting getting the Nintendo Switch and getting a Pokemon game right now, comparing to when I played it as a kid with the 8-bit screen and right now, just the amount of graphics and details gone into games overall, man, it, it's like I'm reliving my childhood, but like, you know, in my late 20s right now. So I'm still that kid in heart and every single time I'm popping that game in, I'm just like, okay. I'm going to go out, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And, like, I'm really invested in Pokemon right now. Like, I'm really getting back on that train right now. It's absolutely insane to think that it's been 25 years. Absolutely. Or 20, 20 years, or whatever it is. Um, it just makes, it just, honestly, it makes me feel old, like, uh, thinking back. Because <laughs> Lord knows that I was, uh, I was one of those kids who definitely collected it all, and, uh, Oh, I yeah. mean, to think that, you know, they've they've revitalized, started, you know, printing out original cards again. Like, it's just, it, it's really insane to see the, the uh, I, I want to say insanity that's going around right now <laughs> surrounding Pokemon. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just a, a, insane to, to really think back and, and, you know, realize how how, uh, <laughs> how much older I am now. Something that everyone was going to say, oh, it's just a fad, you know, it's popular then, it's going to die out in like 10, 15 years. No, it's still going strong. And it like revitalized when Pokemon Go came out for mobile. And now with all these games, all the card reprints, I've, I watched unboxing videos where people are looking for like a rare Charizard that could get like $250, $250, $300 just for one card. And it's insane how like things have like evolved with this franchise. It's just absolutely insane. I love the play on words "evolve" there, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are our sound effects here? Um, yeah, no, but uh, it's you know it's it is it is really crazy, and um, you know it's crazy because we talk about evolution in the game of hockey as well, and and how things are different now than they were, let's say, twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do want to open the show real quick with uh, talking about the the true Canadian, the 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 basically what every Canadian should strive to be, um, the greatest hockey dad in in mm-hmm. you know the history of the game. Um, Walter Gretzky passed away this week, um, yeah. and if anybody was following along, um, we obviously. Um, you know Wayne. Wayne had a nice, uh, nice speech at the uh, at the ceremony for his father, and uh, you know said that you know if if we had more people like my dad, um, you know this world wouldn't would be much a much better place. And um, you know I I kind of tweeted out an anecdote when uh, when I heard the news that you know I played uh, replacross for Oakville, the Oakville Hawks back when I was like nine and ten. I mean it seems so long ago, but. We played a charity game at Old Oakville Arena, one of the greatest barns to ever ever. I mean, it was it was an awful barn, but it was it was a nice nice. It had that feel. Just, 
yeah, it had that feel. Like you could yeah. see the rafters above. Anyways, we were lined up uh, pre-game, and uh, I just remember Don Cherry and and Walter Gretzky walked through and shook all of our hands. And now I was looking around for my family because we got to throw T-shirts out to the fans, and you know I was looking around to see where where my family was sitting. But um, uh, yeah, it just it's one of those things that you know you don't um, you do you don't take for granted. Even as even as a nine ten year old, you might not have realized how how amazing that moment was. But now looking back, just understanding what he meant to the game of hockey and, um, you know, to so many Canadians, it's just, it, it truly is amazing. And uh, obviously we, we send our, our condolences to the Gretzky family um, uh, on, on hearing the passing of his, uh, of their father. The greatest hockey parent of all time. I mean, there's no, contest no competition whatsoever and like you said you just like retold your story about you know being nine and ten and like how the kids nowadays in the last few years like they would still go up to him because he he's a well-respected guy the feeling is mutual they would go for an autograph you know a photo op and he would just be so delighted to see them and all the stories seeing online it just shows how genuine inspirational and just how much of a good-hearted person that he really was and everyone respected him and you saw the emotion on Wayne's face when he was given his eulogy and literally we felt his pain because everyone has a connection to him you again you just mentioned your recollection of the lacrosse story and unfortunately I regret never ever having a chance to meet him and that's something that's going to be weighing on my mind like I really wanted I've always wanted to meet him but in sort of like retrospect it like someone that I know did see Wayne or not Wayne Walter periodically my family doctor who is now retired was Walter was a patient of his and he would tell me stories about him even when I was a little kid and I'm like oh my god I want to see him I want to see him and then he's just like no no this is like you know years ago so I'm like okay well thanks for telling me but you know it's everyone has a connection to him no matter what whether you have met him personally or someone else has he's connected everybody together and we are sadly going to miss him yeah and just uh you know obviously left uh you know, five five grown children behind and thirteen grandchildren. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was uh, obviously a limited uh, limited service with with COVID nineteen going on, yeah. and um, you know he he uh, yeah just a just a great moment. Stick taps along the street as the procession kind of moved along, and um, yeah, just it was it was really just a a wonderful uh, moment uh, for for the the family to see how how loved he truly was. So. Um, you know, yeah. obviously, we, we send our condolences, as I mentioned. Um, on top of that, uh, Mark Pavlich uh, uh, passed away as well this week. He was part of the Miracle on Ice team. Um, it, yeah, just another another tough story for the for the game of hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a real major part of history with that Lake Placid team defying the odds at the Olympic Games. And from what I read, it seemed like he was dealing with about a mental illness. Um, and apparently his family says that he suffered from uh, CTE, chronic traumatic encep- encephalopathy. And we that is a medical term that we are all too familiar with, with the recent news in the past, you know, 
four or five years about concussion studies and the impact that it has on people's mental health, especially hockey players. So um, really tough to hear when you see that, considering that, you know, does this beg the question, is the NHL really looking out for their players after the fact when they're retired, when they ha- they're not playing the game of hockey? And either way, he's like he's a major part of American hockey right now. And he is he's definitely his name is going to be very synonymous in the history books, no matter what. Yeah, and obviously, as you mentioned, Pavlich was at a facility after a court ruled that he was unfit to stand trial for an August 2019 assault on his neighbor. Um, obviously, things just were not uh, were not right up there. And, uh, you know, regardless of, of what what happened and, and, you know, CT, obviously, you mentioned we, it's uh, it's a big thing in, in all of sports, all of contact sports. Um, yeah, it, it, it really plays with a with a person's uh, feelings, emotions, uh, personality. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that he was seeking help, um, you know, it's, it's just really a sad moment, uh, to, to see somebody go like that. And again, we send our condolences to the Pavlich family and, uh, you know, to all of his friends, teammates and family. So, um, you know, we, we wish them all the best. Moving forward, kind of jumping off of that uh, that opening, um, obviously we, we said it's almost like weekly we talk about something like that, but we want to jump into hockey and, and a crazy, crazy little series that we had between Boston and Washington over the last week. Um, and this is, this is the beautiful thing about the way that COVID has kind of rebuilt the, the divisions right now. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're getting teams like Boston playing Washington more often. Rivalries are being built. Look at Toronto and Calgary. Um, and two big moments to talk about. First, we'll, we'll touch on the Ovechkin spear on on uh, Frederick, Trent Fred, Frederick. Um, and then we'll talk about the Tom Wilson hit on Brandon Carlo. Mm-hmm. To start with the Ovechkin spear... Um, Obviously not a hockey play. Um, he did get fined five thousand um, dollars for the play. But here's my question: Did Frederick get exactly what he wanted? Did Frederick? He was he was egging Ovechkin on. He was giving him little jabs, little cross checks, egging him on, and then. It was the Ovechkin spirit of the groin that really uh, kind of derailed that uh, that whole um, meeting between the two. Um, but again, they met up later in the game as well. Frederick looked like he wanted to drop the gloves. Ovechkin didn't. Uh, it just kind of it, it snowballed from there. Yeah. I mean, in a sense... Okay, when someone's egging you on like that, you are going to get really pissed off, especially when it's like, you know, a rookie going up against a veteran player like that. And it's like, well, who are you, right? Like, why are you trying to do this? So if Ovechkin really wanted to send a message, just fight him. Like, I'm not a big fan of the spearing. I think it's I think it's gutless. I think it's like one of the cheap sh- one of the top cheap shot moves in the league right now. And. No one Ovechkin, he, we've seen him drop the glove before. He can fight. If he really wanted to just get this over and done with and put Frederick in his place, he could have just handled his own, dropped the gloves, and fight him. But 
he had to do something like that. And clearly maybe he was just like really had enough. And he just did that just off for like the top of his head because he was right there. And maybe like, let's face it, when you pester somebody like that, you are going to expect a response no matter what. I didn't like the spear at all. And if I'm Boston, I'd be pissed that he only got fined because I think a spearing should be a suspendable uh, action. So I think this is like one of the moods that like set the tone for the whole entire series where like, okay, is something going to escalate even more? And then with the next game that came about, it definitely escalated even more. And this time it was Tom Wilson being the antagonizer and being at the forefront instead of Trent Frederick. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I'm, I totally uh, agree with you on, on the fact that spearing does not have a place in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll admit, right after the incident, I saw the video. I tweeted out that you know what, Frederick kind of got what he was asking for. In um, a sense, yeah. In a sense, right? Yeah. And to me, I mean, I'm not going to justify what Ovechkin did, but at the same time. To me, there's a difference between actually jabbing your stick into somebody and lifting it when you know you're between between the guy's legs. Mm-hmm. Still not a great play. No. You know, hopefully everyone's wearing a cup. <laughs> hopefully, you um, would hope so. <laughs> and uh, you know, it doesn't cause as much pain as Frederick seemed to make it. You know, uh, he dropped pretty pretty well. Like he dropped pretty good. Um, that said, I I I don't like the play. But I mean, if you're going out a player like that, it's it's we've seen it with like guys like Avery, where you know they they egg somebody on, and as soon as they as soon as the person retaliates, they're they're on the ice turtling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not okay with that either. I think if own what you're gonna do, own yeah. what you're gonna do. If you're gonna go after Ovechkin, and he gives you a little jab back, own it. Own the fact that you were looking for him, you were trying to take him off his game, you're going after him purposefully hoping for a reaction yeah and you got exactly that don't drop to the ice i mean i get that you know you're you want it maybe it maybe it was a more of a shock and he dropped but at the same time like i mean man it it, like it was a quick lift of the stick like it wasn't it wasn't like you were going in and spearing him in the gut that's that to me is what a spear is yeah that said I mean, man, that's a low blow. That's a low blow to any guy. Literally. Um, you can feel the pain. When you watch a video like that, you can literally feel the pain. Um, oh, yeah. When somebody takes it to the uh, t- to the groin. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, I, like like you said, I think Ovechkin should have fought him. We've seen Ovechkin, you know, KO Sveshnikov. It's not like he can't fight. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe he, he thought of it in the sense that, you know, it's not it's not the best trade off. Me for a guy like Trent Frederick. That said, yeah. Trent Frederick was the one who scored the goal while Ovechkin sat in the box. So, um, and if you want a great homer call, I mean, head over and and listen to uh, the Boston play by play. It was uh, it was as homer as it gets. It was something. Did you hear like the play by play call when Tom Wilson was fighting? And he was in the box, and they scored well. And you hear Jack Edwards just go completely off when Tom Wilson was in there. Uh, I haven't, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure it's out there right now, and I can uh, give it a listen after we we're done recording here. It's it's worth it. And just jumping ship over to the Wilson and Carlo thing, like knowing Tom Wilson, is it like a surprise that we he would go and do something stupid like this? 
Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. I mean, I, but, I wholeheartedly agree. Again, my question is, um, if it wasn't, and so I, I threw this on Twitter. I threw this on Twitter, and I said I, we Stop we that. talk about it a little bit on the show, um, and I'm all for discussing. There was Frank Cervelli of TSN kind of broke down the hit a little bit and said, you know, like he doesn't think it's uh, Rule 48. Um, he doesn't. Uh, he thinks that the chest was the pr- principal point of contact. That it, the follow through is what hit the head. Uh, that it wasn't a check from behind, so that it's going to be a historical suspension. Obviously, you know, we're recording now. Tom Wilson got seven games for the hit. Um, but we're recording, and, and uh, you know, Saravelli said it was his, an historical suspension because he'd be the first guy to get suspended for boarding where it wasn't from behind or to the head. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of responses to that. I'm somewhere yep. in between. I'm somewhere in between because I do think that under the NHL's rule, Wilson is not a repeat offender at this point in time. It's been, I believe, since 2019, since his last suspension. Um, and so under under the, the NHL's rules, he's no longer considered a repeat offender. That said, I don't think you can wipe the slate clean when you're a player like Tom Wilson where you have that history, you have that um, infamy for, for doing what you do. And part of me wonders, if this was anybody else, would we have been discussing the hit to the same extent that we are with Tom Wilson? I do believe it was a, is a, it, it was a borderline hit. It was a borderline hit, no question. The head was pinned up against the boards. I completely agree with that. But if it's... You know, Nicholas Backstrom, who lays the hit. Are we having the same discussion as um, as we are now with Tom Wilson being the one who, who laid the hit? My thing is this. Nick Backstrom doesn't go around headhunting people all the time. And what constitutes as a repeat offender right now? Like... They're saying that, oh, he's not a repeat offender. Is it because his last suspension was in 2019? Yeah, Are so they... last last suspension was October 2018. Uh, legal check, he received 20 games. It was reduced to 14. So I'm just, kind of, I'm just looking at his suspension history right now. He's been suspended at least four or five times in his career. That's not a repeat offender. Like, just because the suspension happened two years ago doesn't necessarily mean that he's not a repeat offender. He's been suspended multiple times. I honestly thought that, you know, and I think the Hockey News tweeted this out, um, what should he get? I thought he should have gotten 10 or more games because you could argue the fact if it was Rule 48 or Rule 41 because, let's face it, his head was pinned up against the boards. Um, But nonetheless he did nearly take his head off. He was transported to the hospital after that. No penalty on the play. And it to me, it just seems comical at this point. Like, how can you, how, if you're a referee on that ice, how can you say that that at all was a clean hit or like a clean play whatsoever? There was nothing clean about that. 
I don't see any intent of him trying to like get the upper body or the chest because he was his chest kind of looked like it was parallel to the ice, and he was already pinned up with uh, battling with Yakabrana, uh, uh, and then he comes in, squashes his head against the boards against the glass, and then nothing. I mean, I'm glad he got an in-person hearing, but to short yourself low on seven games. I'm sorry, like where like where's the line? Like anything you got if you want to make a statement and say that that kind of stuff is not acceptable in this league, throw the book at him for crying out loud. Like it's getting really ridiculous. It's becoming a joke at this point where he could go almost take a guy's head off and then only get less than 10 games. I I I don't like that at all. So and here here's where I'll say is that I don't when they institute the rule of uh, the repeat offender rule where, you know, if you, if you don't have one within, I forget what it is, is it two calendar years or, or two it looks seasons? Like it, Cause if it was 2018, it's not like three seasons ago. Yeah. I, I never, is, if my math is right, 2021 yeah. minus 2018, three. I, I never liked that rule in the first place. That being said, as, as a business, as the NHL, you were the ones who instituted the rule. You have to, I mean, you can't, you can't institute a rule and then go back on it and say, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Because it's you, we're going to suspend you for longer. That's the problem. That's the problem with the rules that they've put it in place. Now they have to live by it. it it's live and die by the sword, right? Um, yeah. They, they, they placed it, they instituted that specific rule and now they're, they're dealing with an issue where potentially, you know, you're going to get a lot of. Uh, of heat because you've got a guy who's now technically under your rules not considered a repeat offender which i mean <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that i i don't understand how if you've done it before i mean and you do it again to me you're a repeat offender regardless of if it was 10 years ago yeah problem is the nhl's institute that rule that being said and i know in 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 Real time, you can't slow things down the way that it is in, you know, the 37,000 tweets that are posted after the event. But if you slow it down to the ultimate max, and, and I just, I was watching it on SportsCenter this morning. I just wanted to see it again before we talked about it. The hit itself is on the left arm of Brandon Carlo. The left arm, as you mentioned, he was already battling with Jakob Verana. As he lifted his left arm, his left arm comes up, and it's actually his body that pinches his head against the boards and Tom Wilson's body. So the follow-through does hit the head. 110%, mm -hmm. the follow-through does hit the head. And I think that's where the, the problem lies is because there's such a gray area as to what is considered a headshot or an illegal check. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. And that's I, – I have been on this train for six, seven years where yep. I talk about the the inconsistency of player safety. I mean, head over to the hockey writers, look up inconsistency of DOPS, and I guarantee you one of my articles will pop up. <laughs> that's – that like that's – that's how sure I am that I've yeah. been I've been riding this train for, for far too long. But and it's – I, know, I was just about to say, it's funny how, like, you mentioned the repeat offender, how, like, at least twice or, like, two calendar years where nothing happens. 
I just did like uh, my math could be off, but I counted at least nine times where he was at least fined or suspended. Just because it didn't happen in two years. And like you said, could have happened 10 years ago. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's off the that he's like got a clean slate. You're a repeat offender that you're what you did on the ice. That's going to follow you for the rest of your career, no matter what. Absolutely. And I think honestly, he has the, so this is the thing, like he, he's very similar to players that played, you know, 30, 40 years ago where they could put up 20 goals and still be that physical presence. And that's the thing with him is that he has, he's so valuable to his team. And I, I, even after his career is done, he's going to be talked about as a, as a very polarizing player. He, he's a guy that can go out there and, and, and be a force on the offensive and open up the ice for his, his uh, fellow teammates. But he's also going to, he's also going to drive you nuts if you're, if you're team playing against him. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, you know, does he deserve seven games as a repeat offender in my books? I, I'm, I don't have an issue with the seven games. Could it be more? Absolutely. Could it be less? Under the rule? Absolutely. Um, my thing is they have to start defining what an illegal check is. Yeah. Boarding, I mean, even that was questionable because of the way you slow it down and look at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that listens to this, go back, look at it again, watch it on TSN. They really actually do a great job, a great angle of covering it where you can see Brandon Carlo's left arm coming up and actually kind of his shoulder kind of pins against his, his head in between him and uh, the boards and Tom Wilson. It's a very interesting hit actually. Um, But anyways, regardless, Tom Wilson out for seven games. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer in this sense because there's such a gray area in the game of hockey right now that, I mean, you can argue both ways and, and, like I said, you've got a guy like TSN's Frank Cervelli going one way, and you've got probably 3,000 people responding to him saying, you know, you're wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And I, 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 at this point, I'm somewhere in between. Yeah. And I did take a look at that clip, too, like earlier this morning. And yeah, he did get the arm, but... It's it, again. It's tough because he just clips the arm. Who's to say that like maybe his body was the intended target? And, yeah. and just and because that's it, it right? was, and just because it was just a little clip of it, does not necessarily make it the intended point of contact. Is no, where I'm getting at. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I agree. I, I like there was no let up, and that's the thing, yeah. right? Like you're going hard on the boards, and I get it. It's a physical game. Things happen at top speed, and and maybe sometimes you don't you don't exactly, you know, you're not trying to do it. But that being said, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. This, this is a tough one. It's a tough one because of who it is. And I, I do think that if it was a different person, we'd be having a completely different discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Like you said, it follows you around for the rest of your career, regardless of, uh, you know, how many years in between each, each, uh, each event. So, yeah. On top of that, this week, uh, we did see a few other fines. Um, we saw Brett Petschy fined $5,000 for a dangerous trip on Detroit's Robbie Fabry. Um, obviously, I mean, I've, I haven't heard that one, dangerous trip. I've, I've heard Slewfoot before. 
Um, <laughs> but dangerous trip. I mean, it seems like the NHL is coming up with new terms every each and every day. So, um, but uh, we also saw Blitchfield, uh, San Jose's Blitchfield, suspended two games for a head hit on Nathan McKinnon. And obviously, the game is looking at some point to try and protect their star players. A two-game suspension for a first-time offender. Um, any issue with that? No, and that's where, you know, even if you are a first-time offender, I remember, like, going into, like, back in the days before this was even a thing, they're saying that, well, you're a first-time offender, okay, we'll just give you a little a little fine, you know, hopefully you learn your lesson. No, lay the buck on them. Suspend them right away for an illegal hit to the head. And, again, I, I'm... We, we've talked about this many times before. Set the precedent straight. Let them know that that kind of stuff is not going to be tolerated. Once you have that in place, they're going to learn, or hopefully they should learn, that that's not acceptable. You can make your presence known physically by not targeting the head. And I, I'm assuming that Blickfield is, you know, just, like he's just a call-up. Um, I believe he is a rookie. Obviously, first game, first time offender. Um, he, just like he's good, like he has to learn the hard way right now. So that's my thing right now. Yeah, I think honestly, I think they look at it in lost wages a little bit as well. And and for a guy like Blitchfield, two games is a is a is a big uh, big dollar amount for him as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, you don't like to see a guy like McKinnon go down like that. Um, you know, we'll talk about a little bit uh, when we get to t- the the Maple Leafs, but um, we saw we saw Vertanen take a little clip out of uh, Matthews at one point last night. So I mean, you don't want to see star players go down. You don't want to see any player go down, but star players it definitely, um, you know, it, it can change the outlook of the game. So yeah, um, yeah, I think it, it was a good move. Um, you know, gave him the two games. Hopefully he's he doesn't turn into you know a Tom Wilson. Um, but, uh, and we see him kind of, you know, look for ways to let up when you're, when you're targeting the head there. But, um, in other news, some, some big milestones over the last week, uh, Nicholas Backstrom of the Washington Capitals reached his 700th assist in, in, uh, or sorry, I should say regular season assist. Um, Chicago's Alex DeBrinkat scored his 100th goal and Rod Brindamore, uh, recorded his hundredth win behind the bench. So congratulations to Rod the Bod. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, some big moments for those players and that coach, and uh, very very exciting for each and every one of them. Yeah, and just to go back to the 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 Blickfield, um, he did play three games last year and one game this year. So four games NHL experience. Not necessarily, I mean, still considered technically a rookie, but. He has played in the game in the, the NHL before, but yeah, I mean, big milestones, and I'm I just want to focus on Alex Debrinket because everyone like in the 2016 draft when the Maple Leafs took Igor Korshkov, they had an opportunity to draft him, and every I, I get I guess Mark Hunter like he was you know the draft guru at that time so to speak. He's seen a lot of those OHL players, but the way that Alex Debrinket dominated junior with the points that he's put up and the impact that he's had right now with the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, 
200 points, 201 points in 255 games played, 101. And I was still holding out for Igor Korshkov to try and make an impact. Obviously, you know, still being over in Russia, getting traded. That's like one of those early picks right now that you are not going to see be or like one of those mistakes that are going to be made from here on out right now. They see someone like Alex DeBrinket and his potential. They're going to draft an Alex DeBrinket. And I'm this is one of those picks where you regret. And I'm thinking that maybe Mark Hunter should have taken Alex DeBrinket 31st overall, because then you could have had Austin Matthews, Alex DeBrinket as your top two picks. That's yeah, no. absolutely great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's why I love looking back on certain drafts because you kind of get an idea of, you know, maybe where your team missed, um, you know, drafting a guy like, like the Brinkhead who's had, you know, unbelievable success through his first few seasons uh, with Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think it's a miss on, on Mark Hunter uh, slash Kyle Dubas slash whoever was making the picks at the time. Yeah. Um, which is another conversation we'll get into when we get to the Maple Leafs. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great. Uh, obviously, Nick Backstrom has been around for some time playing mm-hmm. with a guy like Ovechkin. You're going to rack up the, the, the apples and, um, you know, 700. It's nothing to, nothing to really joke about. And uh, I think it's a great uh, great thing for him. And, obviously, Rod Brindamore's had a lot of success behind the uh, Carolina bench as well. So, uh, I think that's a that's a big thing for him as well. So a uh, great moment for all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, continued success to each and every one of them uh, as, as their careers continue to, to, to progress. One of the top coaches in the makings and one of the best playmakers already in the league right now. Yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and uh, just jumping off of that, I was just uh, quickly looking up. I, I want to see where where uh Backstrom sits all time uh with with assists. So he's he's definitely in the top 100 um and he's actually just outside the top 50 all time in assists. So just uh worth noting as he moves forward here, he's three shy of Jeremy Roenick for 53rd on the all NHL's all-time list. He's actually only 12 assists shy of jumping into the uh the top well, he'll be 51st. He'll he'll pass Scott Stevens and Jean Beliveau as well, uh, if he if he gets to 712. So, um, yeah, just phenomenal um, for him to be where he is in in under a thousand games. Um, just truly, truly incredible stuff from from uh, from the Swede. 33 years old, and not only that, he's averaged. If I could find it. I cannot find it, but actually averaging just under a point per game for his career, just under a point per game, 953 to 979. Yeah. Still a lot of hockey left in the tank as well. 33 years old. He Who's to say that maybe he can't even crack top 40, top 30 at this point. Worth noting as well that he is the fifth highest uh, Swede when it comes to all-time assists. Can you name the four in front of him? Uh, well, I kind of looked at one right now. Um, Daniel Alfredson. Yep. Henrik Sedin. Henrik Sedin sitting at number two with 830. I want to say Daniel. Daniel's just outside. He's sixth with 648. 
Ooh. Okay, then my next one is Matt Sundin. Matt Sundin sitting at third with 785. And the top Swede with Nick Lidstrom. Nick Lidstrom, 878. Yes. So, yes. Some phenomenal company for uh, Nick Backstrom. Um, again, only 13 away from being the fourth all time when it comes to yeah. Swedes, uh, you know, tying Daniel Alfredson. So, just, yeah, great career. Um, you know, and it's crazy because injuries did hamper him a little bit as well. Uh, mm-hmm. early on but uh just yeah phenomenal stuff from him and and uh we look forward to seeing where he ends up it could be hey it could be him top you know let's say top 30 in assists all time and then he could be playing with possibly the greatest goal scorer of all time so Absolutely. it's it's very interesting to watch and uh obviously we'll see that as it as it progresses um a few funny you notes I was just about to say, it's when he had that little quiz because I was just looking at the list right now as well. And I saw Backstrom and then I saw Diane Arferson. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to say I cheated on one, but. Yeah, yeah. A <laughs> um, few injury notes from the last week. Igor Shosturkin is day-to-day for the New York Rangers. Um, obviously, they've got a 1A, 1B going there in New York with uh, Alex Georgiev taking over for him while he's out. Um, and Preds defense or Preds forward Matt Duchesne will be out three to five weeks. Um, obviously a big loss for them. Uh, the Preds have had a tough season so far to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, just not getting it done, uh, whether it's goaltending or, or what it is. But, uh, we talked about it a little bit on Leafs lounge over at the hockey writers. Um, if you haven't already checked it out, check it out on the hockey writers, YouTube channel. Uh, Leafs Lounge, we talked about how the uh, the Nashville Predators are going to be a, likely going to be a seller when it comes to the trade deadline. Also worth noting that Derek Stepan is out for the season in Ottawa with the Senators. Uh, he will require shoulder surgery and will not be coming back uh, to the Sens anytime soon. Uh, so some big some big names in that regard. Um, I do want to talk about Injuries leading kind of into this, Brent Seabrook. Um, Brent Seabrook will be or has retired from mm-hmm. the NHL, uh, obviously due to uh, the the hip injury that he's been dealing with. Um, he played 15 seasons uh, in the NHL and had quite quite a phenomenal career, if you ask me, for a guy that was never expected to be your top offensive threat. Um, he was a big guy at 6'3", 220. Uh, 35 years old. He played 1,114 regular season games, and over that span had 103 goals and 464 points. Um, obviously, he's a guy that uh, he's played. He played his entire career with the Chicago Blackhawks. Last played um, during the 2019-20 season when he did suffer the injury. Uh, through over that during that season, he had four points in 32 games. Um, you want to talk playoffs about with this guy, uh, 59 points in 123 playoff games, obviously, you know, was part of some pretty incredible Chicago Blackhawks teams and won three Stanley cups in 2013, 2015, and sorry, jumping back to 2010 as well. So, um, yeah, just a a great career for, for Brent Seabrook. And unfortunately, as we mentioned, we don't like to see players go out that way, um, We'd obviously like to see them go out on their own terms. That said, um, yeah, I, I, phenomenal career, over a thousand games, and and we wish Brent Seabrook all the best. Absolutely, and he was the model to be that prototypical 
shut down defensemen. And we're, I mean, the least have that kind of with Jake Muzzin right now where you can, he can't chip in offensively. But you look at his point totals, he was pretty consistent until the, not necessarily, well, when the injury bug hit him in 2019-20, but even after 2016-17 where his production sort of started to decline, he was still going to be around like a 20-30 point defenseman. And that 30-40 point range was always his goal, but to have him still be that consistent probably still would have bode well if he was still pretty healthy. And fun fact, he had seven goals. He had more goals in the 2014-15 playoffs than he did assists, and not really fun fact, but it's just interesting to see a defenseman with more goals than assists considering like the magnitude of the playoffs, how he's not necessarily known as a goal scorer. Goal scorer scored seven that year when they won their third Stanley Cup. So just just something I thought I'd throw out there because it's really fascinating. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, like I said, um, obviously a phenomenal career with with the Blackhawks. And and you mentioned it; he was one of those guys that was definitely counted on throughout their their Stanley Cup run. So um, obviously sad to see him go, but uh, yeah, opens up a little bit of room for the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, who are maybe overplaying uh, not not overplaying but over succeeding at this point in the in the career or, or in this season um mm-hmm. this shortened season I, th- I don't think anybody expected them to be where they are right now uh but and now they've got the opportunity to possibly add with his cap um i mean he was on ltir but um yeah it, they know now going forward that he will not be returning so um kind of gives them a little bit more flexibility in that sense but Definitely going to help them out in the long run. Definitely going to help them out. Uh, big news from around the league as well. Lots of comments from some GMs and Jeff Ward fired in Calgary. Um, not the first in the North Division to to be fired either. Um, but it uh, looks like the Flames are bringing back Daryl Sutter, um, who will also be the fifth coach that Brad Treliving has had since taking over as GM. At what point do we say that this is no longer a coaching issue and more of a either player or GM issue? I think this year we're starting to see that it's becoming a bit of a player issue. More so the fact that how many times have this, because this is a really talented roster. I mean, you look at the names, you look at Monaghan, you look at Goudreau, you look at Kachuk, you even look at some of their death players and Andrew Mangiapane who's stepping up this season right now. And how much longer can you how like how much length is the leash with this team right now? How much longer before you say, okay, you know what? I did the coaching change. I'm gonna have to make adjustments to this roster, and at some point, hit um, Brad Living's uh, name is gonna be on the line. His job is gonna be it's gonna be in question at some point, and. How is that going to affect everything down the road? I mean, they're still struggling at this point this season. Um, they look to have dominated the Edmonton Oilers last night when they played the uh, um, in the game after the, the Leafs and Canucks. And they were dominating, but they still managed to lose that game. So at some point, you're going to have to make even more drastic changes. I, obviously, you want to give... Sutter his chance to, you know, because he was a pretty damn good coach with the Flames back in the day, getting his second stint right now, and he had a really good pedigree with the Kings winning two cups. 
is he the one to try and turn things around? We know how great of a coach he is and how, you know, hard nose he is in order to get the most out of his players. Could it be what Sean Monahan needs? Could it be what Elias Lindholm needs? Could it be what Sam Bennett needs? Maybe, maybe he could turn things around with him. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's again, I honestly did not expect that to happen. I did, you never see a coach go back to, you know, the team that he once played for. It's, it's very rare to see that. And I, at the top of my head, I really can't think of that. If there is, please let me know. Um, but yeah, it really is an interesting situation of what could happen next. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously Sutter's been around the league for some time and, and uh, everybody knows what kind of coach he is. So is this maybe a, a spot where he can come in and, and get these young players to kind of buckle down and really learn from their mistakes? I mean, it, it, it quite literally could be the possibility that they are quite literally could be what they're looking for. And, and maybe true living's recognizing that and, and understanding that there is, there is a divide uh, when it comes to their players. And and we saw it after the whole to Chuck meltdown against Toronto and, and mm-hmm. how, you know, players didn't necessarily come to his defense and he got frustrated and it kind of boiled over from there. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, an interesting move by the Calgary flames. And obviously we'll see how that, uh, how that affects the team moving forward. But um, yeah, I, I don't, honestly, I don't think Jeff Ward was the issue. I think there's, there's bigger issues when it comes to that organization. And um, I think, you know, Jeff Ward was just kind of the scapegoat when it came to, uh, you know, having to make a change and not wanting to do it in terms of, uh, in terms of player personnel. So. I just find it a little bit odd that the firing happened after they won a game. Usually you see it in like a losing streak and everything like that. Yeah. I know that right then and there because i mean you compare it to like what the leafs did last year they were on a bad losing streak and then they fired mike babcock they won a game obviously you know one game is one game but maybe give it another chance at another two three games to see how it unfolds if then it's still not looking good you make the decision but if they wanted to pull the trigger right now to make a change i get that it just seems really odd to do it after a win yeah i think it was just i think it's more of it was just a long time coming and, uh, you know, I think the team kind of knew what road they were going down and the expectation was that they were going to do better. And that just uh, unfortunately didn't happen under Ward. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I think he was just, you know, he was a scapegoat. Um, yeah. True Living's looking for a change. And, and maybe this is a warning, warning shot at the players saying, like, you know, get things going. Otherwise, we're going to see bigger changes. But um, regardless of what it was, uh you know, obviously Ward's, Ward's out of a job and Daryl Sutter's back in the game. So mm-hmm. GMs, though, also had a vocal point um, this season. Uh, Vancouver, again, sticking with the North Division. Jim Benning um, wanted wants his fan base in Vancouver to stay calm and stay patient uh, with his fans. <clears throat> and it was not quite well received when uh, he asked that uh, asked for a little bit more patience with the young squad. Um, obviously Vancouver has been having an up and down season. Um, they, I mean, they're coming off after with us recording on the Sunday, they're coming off two big wins against the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. But that being said, when it comes to uh, the actual team itself, maybe they're not getting as much, 
done as as expected following a, a big year last year. Um, your thoughts on this? On Twitter, Brendan uh, Bachelor made a comment to, from Jim Benning um, with a quote during the press conference. He said, when we planned the team out this summer, we were in the Pacific Division and we were going to be playing all the teams in the league. With the pandemic, things have changed. We're in uncharted territory here. We're playing every second night. This, I, I, I've heard like excuses, 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 but this one takes the cake. I mean, you're not the only team that is in a different division. You're not the only team that's dealing with difficult circumstances. You're not the only team that's playing every other night. You're not the team that you're not the only team that's in uncharted territory. Yet other teams are still finding success. And I just find it really, really. What's the word I'm looking for? It's really out of the ordinary that he's using this as an excuse because you've never heard somebody blame a divisional lineup or a division alignment because it's just so odd. And I know you want to keep the positivity up and show that you're heading in the right direction right now. But after everything that he said in there, and especially after that comment, I how can you be optimistic with what is going on to blame the division for your woes? That that to me is just the biggest excuse ever. Yeah, I mean, my thing here is that you knew it was going to be a different season, regardless of regardless of of what division you're in or or how many times a week you're playing or who's on your roster. Mm-hmm. You knew going in that it was going to be a different season. There there was talk that there might not even be a season, let alone you know a 56 game season condensed and, and division realignment. Yeah. At this at the end of the day, you have to play hockey games. Doesn't matter, matter who you. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter who you're it. playing against. Yeah, you're trying to win games. So if this roster, I mean, can't get it done in the North Division, who the hell says it's going to work in the Pacific di- Division? That's my point. And you look at the the teams in the Pacific Division last year: Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver was third, Calgary, Arizona, Anaheim, Los Angeles, San Jose. Vancouver would be teetering on a playoff spot right now if we were to look at the teams right now in the west division it is vegas st louis colorado minnesota la arizona anaheim san jose vancouver is still going to be a middle of the pack team if that pacific division was happening and even so maybe calgary jumps ahead of them and they become kind of like that third place team holding down that possible maybe wild card spot in the West, in the Western conference. There's no guarantee that you would probably be having as much success as you are right. Or more success in the Pacific division last year than you would this year. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about excuses. I mean, I, I'm more inclined to believe you if you were to use injuries as a possible excuse. I mean, obviously, you know, a guy like Elias Pedersen's out of the, out of the uh, lineup right now. Um, you know, things like that, but for you to, you want to talk about excuses. How about, how about your team's penalty minutes? Mm -hmm. Um, that their, their discipline is, is way off the charts. Uh, like it, it just, 
there is no discipline right now in Vancouver. And, and that, that to me is an issue. Um, your power play points when you, I mean, you might be getting the most power plays, but if you can't score at five on five, then there's going to be an issue. Um, there's another issue for me. Um, you know, you look at a guy like JT Miller, 12 of his 24 points, half his points are on the power play. Mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes, 12 of 22 points, more than half his points are on the power play. Um, you know, I just think like there's far better excuses than, hey, we weren't ready for the division that we're going to be in. You want to hear another? OK, not necessarily an excuse, but he did say that, you know, there were like there's a, they have a massive amount of contracts. And he said every team in the league has bad contracts. That's just the nature of doing business. Yes, every team does have a bad contract or two. But $4.3 million for Brandon Sutter. $3 million for Antoine Roussel. $3 million for Jay Beagle. $2.5 million for Jake Vertanen, even although he did have a pretty good game in the first game against the Maple Leafs. Those are some, you know, pretty bad contracts. $6 million for Tyler Myers. I mean, yeah, teams have bad contracts, but I just named out, you know, three or four really bad contracts for this team right now. So don't go and try and even, if you want to use the contract excuse, yeah, go ahead and use it. But who's to blame yourself for that? Vancouver currently is first in the league with 284 penalty minutes. They average Mm 10.14 penalty minutes per game. That is good enough for fourth in the league behind Boston, Tampa Bay, and Montreal. Something has to change. And, and, and consider this as well. Only four majors all so season long. So it's not even like they're like doing a lot of fighting. It's just bad placement of like stick infractions. Quite literally, four majors. You're looking at 20 minutes from that 284. So 264 minutes are minor penalties. Yeah. Something something is wrong there. And and to me, that's where your problem lies, Mr. Uh, Mr. Benning. Not uh, not in the fact that you're in the North Division and you're not playing opponents that you were apparently ready to play. And 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 let's face it, you you really think that like every team is getting sick of like, you know, these three-game series. Although it is fun, it is different, but you don't think that they want to be traveling, going to different cities on a nightly basis instead of playing the same ones over and over again. I get it's frustrating, but come on. I, 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 that to me, again, like, that just seems like a really cheap excuse to use. That's like saying that the Maple Leafs are in first in their division because they're playing only Canadian teams. Oh, don't go there. Do not go there because that's good. You're just going to poke a whole nother bear with other fan bases with that. <laughs> you, you know what? You know what I'm saying? Like that's no, what people I are saying. Like that the Leafs are having success because they're in a weak division. That's not it at all. You've got some pretty solid teams in the in the North Division. Calgary is a very good team. Edmonton is a very good team. Montreal is playing really well, and on paper, they arguably have one of the best goalies in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I think, I think you got to reevaluate if you're Jim Benning, you got to reevaluate what, uh, what excuses you're going to come to the table with next time. Because the, if this, uh, if this lackluster performance this season continues, um, there's going to be a lot of questions as to, you know, how you can go from having a season like you did last year to playing the way that you did this year. So, um, in terms of points, 
The Maple Leafs, Winnipeg Jets, and Edmonton Oilers, three teams out of that North Division, are in the top 10 for points. You go to point percentage, obviously that dips a little bit, where Edmonton falls to 17th, but the Winnipeg Jets and Toronto Maple Leafs are still in the top 10. So it is a very competitive division. You've seen that. You've seen the goals and the crazy games that have been coming out of there. It's not easy as people are making it out to be. Especially for a goaltender. Absolutely. 100%. But uh, anyways, moving on from that, uh, obviously, you know, Vancouver, good luck. Mm -hmm. Thanks for stealing four points from us. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but Sabres GM Kevin Adams has been facing a lot of scrutiny uh, just with how the team's been performing. Uh, the rumors that are swirling about Jack Eichel going to New York, going to Ottawa. Um, where else could he possibly go uh, aside from New York, aside from Buffalo? Um, <laughs> and his he, he did make the comments that he is not actively working on a trade for uh, Jack Eichel, has no inclination to trade Jack Eichel, and has open communication with Jack Eichel. Um, is this, I mean, we talk about it all the time. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Buffalo is not good. Buffalo mm -hmm. is just not good. And and not because they don't have the players. They are just not good. Yeah. Um, they do need a supporting cast in, in, in Buffalo. Um, Jeff Skinner is not even, I wouldn't even call him a tertiary player at this point on that lineup. What is going on with the Buffalo Sabres? Well, Elliot Freeman during Saturday night headlines last night says that the Sabres are in basically in the same category as the Predators right now. They are looking, you know, they are open for business. And clearly he went into the job with a mess on his hands. I mean, clearly he's not happy right now, especially what he's seen in the short term coming in and then having to deal with those whole Jack Eichel rumors then. And even right now where Jack Eichel still isn't happy of what's going on. He wants he wants to make moves and he wants to improve his team. Great on him for showing that his frustration with everything. And I even read that even Ralph Kruger's job is not even safe. He's evaluating him at this point as well. But here's my thing. You have so many bad contracts on your team right now. And I, I've, we've discussed this fair, a quite fair amount, especially over the last few weeks. Um I don't want to keep on repeating the contracts because it's just embedded in my head at this point. You could head over to Cap Friendly or even listen to our past episodes discussing past contracts. But you have the bad contracts that you have. You have basically only three prospects in your system that have any great value that are, you know, about to come through the pipeline. And I'm almost 100% sure in order to make a move to salvage this team, they are not going to move Jack Quinn. They're not going to move J.J. Paterka. And they're not going to move uh, Uko Pekka Lukanen, who is, you know, hopefully to be their goaltender for the future right now. Dylan Cousins is looking great. He's off the table. If you want to make a move, how are you going to trade Jeff Skinner's $9 million contract? How are you going to trade Kyle Pozo? How are you going to trade Sam Reinhart? The only move that you can make right now or that has any value of a possible good return and you don't want to trade your franchise player Jack Eichel seems to be the only option. 
to try and salvage something. Yeah, you're going to lose him. You're going to be in another rebuild. But you know what? If it's going to help save this mess that you're in to go through another rebuild, I know it's going to piss a lot of fans off. But what other, what other options do you have? I mean, it's you could even try and trade Eric Saul. Eric Saul, I think, could provide great value for a return if it's going to be a rental player situation. 3.25 million, not a bad deal. 36 can still score. What what else do you have? Yeah, I I think um, I I don't know if it's just the fact that they're in a mess with contracts, but this team has not uh, has not done well um, in, in quite a long time, and and that that fan base there is is just craving playoff hockey they are craving oh, yeah. playoff hockey and they deserve it i mean <clears throat> i saw a tweet the other day that uh you know you see how you see how bad they are and how can any fan wake up every day and say yeah i'm still going to support this team and and it's because they are that loyal to the buffalo sabers i mean mm-hmm. they, they had the buffalo bills for how many years as well and it just yeah. they came out and they sold out and they did well uh as as fans um and obviously we've seen the bills turn it around. So um, the likelihood is that one day, maybe we could see the Buffalo Sabres turn it around as well. But I, you know, I, for anyone who remembers Kevin Adams in a Leafs uniform, um, he was not, he was a feisty player. He was a feisty yeah. player. He could a get a lot of energy, a lot of energy. You know, he was a spark plug out there. Um, and I, you know, you feel for him coming in as a first year GM because people criticize the fact that he didn't have that maybe body of work to, to deserve the job as a GM. And then he walks into a mess that is the Buffalo Sabres. And all of a sudden he's scrambling to try and make this team competitive. It, it's not an easy job. And I, and I can't even imagine that the, the, the work that he's had to put in over this season. Um, but that said, I mean, at no point should this be on his shoulders. Uh, he, he is doing what he can um to try and make this team competitive and you know i mean he obviously brought in eric stall in the offseason i i do believe that eric stall has been more of a uh, presence in the lineup than a guy like jeff skinner and mm-hmm. jeff skinner is the guy who is holding this team back at this point um but i i, I just i mean i think this this season is well out of reach for the sabers it, it, it's going to come down to what can you do for the 2021-22 season Chances are they're probably going to be in the draft lottery this year. So far right now, I mean, the the top 10 pick is not, you know, it's good, but it's not like last year's top 10 or the year before that. Um, I'm just going to throw out a few names that if in their wheelhouse right now that they could possibly draft and they would make a significant impact in their lineup in the future. Fabian Lizelle. Owen Power, Brant Clark, and Simon Edvinson. Three out of the four are really, really good defensemen. And to me, Fabian Lazale is one of my favorite forwards in this draft. Uh, we talked about it on our recent uh, draft uh, draft ranking show. I talked about how I really love Fabian Lazale there. Um, you can check that out at the YouTube channel of the hockey writers, but those are some four really solid prospects. I'm not necessarily going to mention um, Eklund, Hughes, and Veneers, and I'm looking at a website called My NHL Draft where they just do a mock projection of, you know, 
who's going to go where for the time being. They updated as, you know, the standings are updated, but those are four really solid players. And I think Lizelle, Power, and Edmondson are players that could jump into the lineup sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think um, they at this point, they've got to look at moving forward. And, you know, we talk about it a lot with, with Seattle coming in at some point. Um, you know, teams are going to have to give up certain um, certain pieces in their in their puzzle, but um, make yeah, certain I, negotiations. Absolutely, and I and I wonder, like, obviously, Buffalo is a team right now that can't afford to give up a first first round pick to take a guy like Jeff Skinner. No, um, and, but that's that's a move that they have to consider at at, at a certain point because right now he's that contract is just going to, it's going to weigh you down until you get rid of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's obviously frustration there, uh, especially with, you know, we mentioned that the, the rumors that are swirling around Jack Eichel. And obviously that's not something that Kevin Adams wants to deal with at this point in time. He doesn't see him going anywhere, but at a certain point, if you're Jack Eichel, you do have to consider your options. Um, yeah. and that's going to be the discussion we have week in and week out until something changes in Buffalo. Is he going to endure this for another five seasons until he's a UFA in 2026, where he's now 2024? You're teetering on your late 20s at that point. If I'm Jack Eichel, you may, you need to make a decision right now. Like I know, I know draft picks want to be loyal to their team, but in this situation, you're not winning. You're far from winning at this point. Yeah, you're not even close. And if you want a chance to that cup, like you're gonna have to figure something out, mm-hmm. um, and 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 do it like before you're a free agent. So um, I'm just gonna maybe, say maybe, this: How awesome would it be if Eichel and Lafreniere are gonna be on the same wing, same line? That, sorry. I mean that that would be pretty unbelievable. Um, the Rangers obviously would have to move around some pieces, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine Lafreniere, Eichel, Panarin, Capo Caco? Um, you'd have to assume that somebody's going back the other way. Likely a guy like Caco, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a guy like, do you give up on a guy like Adam Fox and maybe send him the other way? I, I don't know, but they're going to have to give up pieces. Yeah, I, I it, the way that Adam Fox is playing right now, I think he's untouchable at this yeah. point yeah i mean it's just, it's great the thing is the rangers do have pieces they do have some pieces that they could try and maneuver and work around Andre miller keandre miller I, I i actually really liked him this season um are they willing to try and move him i, I he's been pretty steady but you look at their prospects too they have vitaly kravtsov who's you know playing pretty well um do they move Braden schneider I, you know me, I love Braden Schneider. He's he signed him to an some, entry level contract. Yeah, nine hundred twenty uh, over nine hundred thousand dollars, and he has that feistiness to him. He plays a strong, gritty two way game. That could help I, them out. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know possibly a guy like you know Georgiev could go the other way as well. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, they need a goalie. They do need a goalie. <laughs> they do need a goalie. It's an understatement. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, final note before we jump over to the Toronto Toronto talk here. Um, yes. The Seattle Kraken, 
uh, have partnered with Seattle U to create an MBA program to boost diversity in sports and entertainment. Um, obviously, this has been a discussion that's continued, uh, you know, with the the Black Lives Matter movement and, and uh, women in sports. And, and you know, I, I think it's a great move by the Seattle Kraken. They're making news even before they get into the league, and I love it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting for, for folks out that way. Anybody who wants to get involved in sports uh, and entertainment, uh, definitely look into this program at Seattle U. Uh, it, it'd be something that, uh, you know, anybody should consider, um, you know, with the with the likelihood that there is an opportunity to possibly intern with Seattle Kraken. I, I would assume that's the way that it's going to work. Um, and, and it does say here that they will offer fellowships and job opportunities as partners with the Mariners, Seattle uh, Seahawks, the Storm, and the Sounders. So um, just a great, great uh, initiative by the Seattle Kraken and uh, uh, Seattle University um, to get involved in that. I mean, yeah, you, uh, you just nailed that on the head. I mean, I really can't say anything else other than you have other than it's, this is a really great opportunity to, you know, get more invo- get more people involved and give them the opportunity because they absolutely deserve it. And I mean, it's, it, this is, this is a really great step forward to help everyone out. No doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a great move and uh, you know, great for anybody who, who has the opportunity to, to, yeah. to work with any of those clubs really. Um, so yeah, fantastic news from, from Seattle. Um, jumping over to Toronto talk. And obviously we didn't mention it off the show. We do not have a guest this episode, but we will, we've got some great, we have some great guests lined up. We have some fantastic guests lined up and we're excited to get them all on. It's just a matter of working out, uh, their schedules, our schedules. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a busy time right now, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, we're like, um, we're like NHL GMs. We're working the phones quite a bit. We're working the phones as much as we can. And <laughs> hey, Sean Thornton, if you hear this, you know, slide into my DMs, bud. Let's go. Let's get you on. Uh, we'll promote Second your new that. book. Yeah. Second that. Uh, but jumping over to Toronto, first off, a little Marley's news. I want to talk about Rich Clune getting the C for the Toronto Marlies. How fantastic is this for, for Dickie? Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I it's it's simple as that. I mean, this guy, he's been a part of the Marley's organization since 2016-17. He has been the heart and soul of this team for years. And I remember when they were um I can't remember when it was. It was the year they won the championship. I believe that was 2017, 2018. I have a hat of that, and I'm not even near it to check the to double check the date. But 2017, 2018 had a fantastic run. Clune was again. He may not put up the points. He is a physical force. He is there to protect everybody. But he has the intangibles, and he is a leader that sets an example on and off the ice. And when he said during their like parade celebration where he was like, I want to stay here. And like all the fans are cheering because they love him so much. Again, doesn't put up the points, but he has a tremendous impact on the team. And the fact that he has been given the C right now, it, it there was no one more deserving the Rich Clune at this point. 
I mean, you could look at the roster. Maybe you could try and look at, you know, I don't know, maybe give it, maybe Kenny Agassino, Tyler Gaudet, um, just some names out there. But you know what? No, it, it, it's going to Rich Clune. He deserves it wholeheartedly. He, he's been with this team for a number of years. He deserves it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's a great decision by them. I think he's a leader on and off the ice. Um, obviously a veteran presence for the Marlies, a guy that uh, wanted to stay in Toronto, wanted to be with the Marlies, wanted to stick with this, this young squad. And, uh, you know, just very excited for him. And, um, again, yeah, great, uh, great move by the Marlies organization, and and hopefully uh, they can go out and and get get it done again this season. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, he, not the offensive type, but man, just looking at his penalty minutes right now, oh man, do not mess with him. Like d- dating back to like the Sarnia Sting, you know, over a hundred minutes out of three out of his four years. Then when he gets to the AHL, one hundred and thirty-seven with Iowa. 126, 222, 253 with Manchester. This this guy fights every night and gives his team a chance to win. Like I mean, he lays it out all on the line. And if he and and I know we talked about his documentary. Hi, my name is Dickie. Go out and watch it. Fantastic interview and or not necessarily interview, but a fantastic story of his, um, you know, battle with mental health. It's it's fantastic, and I'm glad that he's here with us. I'm glad he's with this team, and I'm glad he's leading them. Yeah, and uh, he did have an appearance on Spit and Chickless podcast as well, where he did uh, open up a little bit about that uh, documentary and and uh, about uh, his battle as well. And um, you know, if if you if you get a chance, obviously, you know, we like to support other podcasts. Not that they need our support, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know, jump over there as well and, and listen to that interview. Great interview. Uh, really down to earth, modest guy, and yeah. uh, opens up about basically everything and and doesn't really you know leave a leave a shadow on it any any part of his life. So my uh, mistake on that it was about his uh, substance abuse disorder, but it still does play a part in terms of like you know with mental health, addiction, and everything like that. Absolutely. But it was it, it it does focus on the, the substance abuse disorder. But it all comes together no matter what. So yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. So fantastic job. Um, jumping over to the Maple Leafs, a couple of big moments for some of the the players over there this past week. Jake Muzzin played in his 600th NHL game. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about how important he is to the Maple Leafs lineup. He is their big stay-at-home defenseman. Plays a physical game. 32 years old. He's played 603 regular season games with 63 goals and 265 points. Not your most offensive guy, but he's a guy that's definitely willing to throw his body around and get into the grimy areas. Maybe take certain star players off of their game. Shout out Matthew to Chuck. Um, <laughs> he's also got one goal and 13 points in 24 games played this season for the Leafs. Um, obviously, as we mentioned, a very valuable piece. And uh, congratulations to the Woodstock native on his 600th NHL game. Absolutely. On top of that, uh, yeah, on top of that, uh, Travis Boyd reached his 100th NHL game. This is a guy who was drafted back in 2011 by the Washington Capitals. He's a sixth-round pick, um, 177th overall. Still, 100 NHL games, that's nothing to blink an eye at. Uh, he's had 39 points over that span, and he's on pace for having – arguably his best season. Uh, he did have 20 points back in 2018, 19, 
when he played 53 games for the Washington Capitals, but he is off to a great start with the Leafs right now, has his first ever power play goal this season, and has three goals and five assists for eight points in 17 games for the Maple Leafs. I remember when Sheldon Keefe put him into the lineup and it was his first game against the Calgary Flames and he scored in his first game. At that point, I said he should not be taken out. And aside from the first Vancouver game where uh, Big Patan came in, he's been absolutely impressive in that depth role. And he had a pretty good, he had pretty good underlying numbers when the Maple Leafs signed up from Washington. He had a pretty good, uh, Corsi four percentage number, uh, relatively good expected goals percentage, high danger chances, and high danger goals for. Again, limited minutes. I know that he was probably seeing fourth line minutes there as well. But, you know, numbers may have dipped a little bit this time around with the Maple Leafs. But, man, he could still find the score sheet. And I am. this is turning out to be one of those underrated signings that's really benefiting the team right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think it's a great move to have him on the ice. I think he brings energy beyond uh, beyond uh, recognition sometimes when this Maple Leafs lineup just isn't going. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he's in the grimy areas. He's, he's uh, you know, like I said, eight points in 17 games so far this season. So uh, more than what I think was expected of him. Um, he's, he's, he's had a chance to play a little bit on the power play. And, and consider this. He has a 20% shot percentage so far this season, only 15 shots taken three goals. Um, Maybe he should shoot a little bit more when he's on the ice. (laughs) Maybe. I I, I don't know. Just a suggestion. I mean, maybe. Uh, Now, is that going to be sustainable considering his role and, you know, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But Um, still, but I mean, shots, three goals. That is pretty good. So consider this. Over his career, he has 11 goals in 102 games. He has a 14.1 shot percentage over that span, over 102 games. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously not a guy who's going to be the offensive threat that maybe, you know, you know, that, like a guy like Austin Matthews where his shot percentage is in like the, you know, 7 to 10 range. But I mean, 14.1% over 102 games. That's not a small sample size. That's 102 games. Um, He's taken 78 shots over his career. 11 of them have made it into the net. So at some point, maybe this guy should start shooting a little bit more and maybe he can add to those numbers and maybe maybe the shot percentage decreases a little bit. But at the end of the day, um, you know, he's done more than what's expected of him. And uh, I think he's been a force in that Maple Leafs lineup. So what you're saying is he's a sniper and should be and he should be paired with another sniper in Austin Matthews. Hot take. <laughs> Travis uh, Boyd. Hot is, tape. Travis Boyd is the Leafs secondary sniper. <laughs> Man. I mean it, it's funny that you brought that up because yeah, that is that is very impressive. I mean, again, it's I don't know if it's like the obviously it's not the amount of shots that he's taken, but if it's good quality shots and they're going in and he's making the most of it, I think that's why Kyle Dubas has maybe, you know, kept an eye on him and gave him that contract. Cause Hey, if he shoots the puck more, I'm all for it. Whether it's again, whether it's sustainable or not, but Hey, keep it going. Absolutely. And, um, I want to talk a little bit about Dubas for a second. Uh, he got his 100th win as Leafs GM. 
Um, and and we talked a little bit earlier about Brendan Moore getting his 100th win as uh, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. Dubas, as the GM, has done a pretty good job of making this team competitive on paper, yet we haven't been able to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Um, is this, you know, is this nothing compared? I mean, 100 wins as a GM. At a certain point, you're not even caring about the numbers when you're when you're a general manager and you're trying to get those those playoff wins. Am I right in, in thinking that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's face it. Yeah, the regular season wins are great, but let's face it. Everybody plays for the cup, right? And the fact that he saw something in his roster last year that said, you know what, this isn't good enough. And the changes that he made this season are ones that do reflect those that go far in the playoffs. And anybody who disagrees, well, you know, Tampa Bay, they were all offense. They added depth to their team. They sacrificed scoring, and look what happened. They won the cup with, you know, bringing in guys like Blake Coleman, like Barkley Goudreau, although, you know, a price that, you know, was a steep price. But, hey, they could pay for it. And I I just want to hold off. on Nothing necessarily jump so quickly from Dubas because it is a great feat, and I also think that we should shout out to Chris Ferrier, who wrote a tremendous article on Dubas getting his 100th win Check that out at the Hockey Writers Maple Leaf section. Because of Dubis's, you know, mentality, going through the roster, making the moves that he did, signing TJ Brody, which has been fantastic so far. Wayne Simmons was gritty before he went down with his injury. Thornton keeping up with the young guns. Elliot Freeman mentioned in a radio segment on 630 CHED, and it was mentioned by accounts for hockey who posts out like quotes from radio tv and everything like that keeps everybody in the loop it's getting to a point now where kyle dubas may be all in at this point he from that uh account he wrote or it was tweeted out uh quoting freeman i do think that the gm is going is going to go hunting for a top six winger which we already know and i'm curious to see who he gets so this isn't even the name that he wrote down in Michael Granlund. And he goes on saying that this week versus the Oilers convinced him to go all in this season. Is it time to go all in with your the Maple Leafs right now? I, I It's such a tough question because you don't want to give up your assets just in mm-hmm. case it doesn't work out. Um, I do think they have all the pieces in place. Um, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, TJ Brody obviously the, the the big ad that they needed on the back end. They've had defensive yeah. uh, um, great defensive games this season. They've also had some pretty bad defensive games this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 I, every team's going to have those defensive breakdowns. They have the pieces in place. If they were to add one more big big asset that could kind of even out the scoring a little bit. Um, obviously, we've seen that with the third line coming alive with Hyman, Mikheyev, and uh, and, um, oh, who am I thinking here? Pierre I'm, Engvall. I'm, I'm, Pierre Engvall. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> wow, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday mornings, eh? Fill up that coffee. Um, <laughs> but uh, they've, they've been able to really get things going on that third line, which has been amazing, um, which really also we'll get to in a sec, but makes me think of how important Hyman is to this lineup. But I do think that they need to add one more piece to really be, um, you know, a, a contender for a cup, even this season. Um, you know, starting the year, people had 
the Golden Knights as as the top team. They had the Colorado Avalanche as as a projected Stanley Cup winner. Not enough people were talking about Toronto. And mm-hmm. right now, yes, Toronto's played, you know, a high high number of games already with obviously games south of the border being canceled, but that would also mean that there is potential that Toronto does get a little bit of a rest before the playoffs start. Yeah. With the understanding that they have their their schedule has basically stayed the same, they are going to get a little bit of a, a sit down before the playoffs start, which could be beneficial to this team, especially players dealing with injuries. Austin Matthews, uh, Joe Thornton, Jake Muzzin, guys, Frederick Anderson, guys, you know, fighting little little uh, bumps and bruises here. Mm-hmm. Does. Yeah. Dubis make sorry. Does Dubis make another move to get another? As we mentioned, this mystery forward. Does he make a move to get that guy in the lineup and and try and make this a legitimate cup contender? I think you need to do it without sacrificing your overall future. Mm -hmm. You do have enough assets down there that you can move guys and and still have a strong prospect pool. I don't think you move guys like Lilligren. I don't think you move guys like Rasmus Sandin. I I don't think you move, you know, Niamela. Um, you know, we talked about Ronnie Hervin. Um, all these guys that have the potential to be forces for you down the road, I I I don't want to see them give up on that those pieces just to bring in one player for the potential of a cup run. Well, it's just, it's funny that you brought that up because, you know, they managed to give up Sean Dursey and Carl Grunstrom. Carl Grunstrom, you know, playing well with the LA Kings, but they gave up an asset that really hasn't gone anywhere in Dursey for Jake Muzzin. So Dubas knows how to assess his talent. He knows how to assess his prospects and he knows how to get deals done. So, we know, I think at this point, if any deal, unless it's blown out of the water, like it's a real big, you know, high-end deal where maybe Lilligren, Sandine, maybe Robertson, I don't know. It's something to consider. I'm not saying you're going to do it, but this is the situation that we're in right now. Before, when this team was bad, we've had pretty good images or an idea of who would stay or who would go or who to acquire you would always be playing that hypothetical game. This time around, we have so many pieces that could be beneficial for the future and to get us, you know, big name players to improve the team. It's at the point now where you don't want to move anyone because you have something in place at this point and you don't want to, like, you know, break it apart. But that being the case, there are some names on the roster that you maybe can move. I know Kerfoot has been, you know, floated around since, you know, even last year. Do you move Jimmy VC because you have great depth that can replace him at this point? Do you maybe move Travis Dermott? So then that way, maybe you do have someone else come up from the um, the Marlies. I don't know if they're actually going to make an impact. I, maybe you keep Dermott for the time being. But they have players on the roster and in the system that you can move without giving up big name prospects. 
And that could be enough to bring in someone like Granlin and Raquel, where maybe teams maybe aren't as inclined to pay a high price this time around as they normally would. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's that's where, you know, we'll see just how good of a GM Dubas is, is, is if he has that ability to continue to make moves that benefit his team and maybe don't sacrifice the future of, of the organization either. So um, he's done it before. We can count on him to do it again. And if if that's the case, I, I say, yeah, go for a guy like Rocco. Go for a guy like Granlin that are going to bring in those those extra players. And maybe they're going to bump players out of the lineup. But at the end of mm-hmm. the day, that might be the, the way you need to go to, to really take that next step. Here's and, why I think it's going to be a roster for roster thing. Because, because the Leafs are so tight against the cap, maybe you can use your first round pick to try and move, like, maybe Kerfoot and a first to try and bring in the contract that replaces his in Granlund and Raquel because they're roughly in the same range. So just something to think about. Yeah, and and I think one guy that could potentially, you know, see his spot in the lineup maybe change a little bit. Um, obviously, maybe not with his play the last few games, but <laughs> Jimmy VC, we have been all over him all season long. Uh, we talked about him on Leafs Lounge. We've talked about him on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. You have written an article about Jimmy VC and yeah. his, his inability to get it done in the lineup. And since then, he's gone on to have three goals for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He has five total, and he has more than Jack Eichel and um, Jeff Skinner combined. I believe that's the, that, that's the comparison you made on Twitter. Taylor Hall. Taylor two two. Hall, sorry. Yeah. Well, you can't throw in Jeff Skinner in there because he doesn't have anything. So, there you go. But, um, yeah, uh, the running joke is right now, I think he may have read my article and I think that may have, uh, you know, got something going. No, I'm, I'm just joking. But if there was anybody that needed the confidence boost that he that he needed right now, and there were times where he had like a massive long talk at the end of practice with the coaching staff. I think at one point, Chris Johnson tweeted a picture where VC was, I think, talking to... I think either Keith or I think I think he was talking to Sheldon Keith. Maybe it was even Manny Malhotra. Um, the his recent level of play and 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 it's very odd considering how like even before I posted that article, everyone was saying you know what's the point of keeping VC in the lineup? He isn't doing anything. He's making too many mistakes offensively, turnovers and stuff like that. And while he is pretty good defensively at like breaking plays up, that offensive game wasn't there, and. To see that right now, I think this is what he needs. This is what he needed. This is the jump. This is the spark. This is the confidence boost that he can, you know, say, hey, you want to take me out of the lineup? Okay, fine. Great. I'm going to show you why I need to stay. And it's working. But what's going to happen when Wayne Simmons comes off IR? Who's going to be the odd man out? Are you going to take out Pierre Engvall? where that line of McKay of Hyman and Engvall are thriving. Are you going to put Wayne Simmons back on the fourth line where, you know, Spets and Boyd have had had more success offensively before GB, Jimmy VC before he broke out? It's it's an interesting situation right now. And again, the timing of how I, the day that I posted my article, he scores and then he scores two goals again after that. And then he scores again today. So it's like, man, if if again, it's not it's not like a way like the article that I wrote, it was more of a critique. It's not like necessarily bashing him. It's just he needed to get going somehow. And I don't know what sparked him. I don't know what got him motivated, but it worked. And if he's gonna write it out, just go for it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, he might be the guy that uh, you take out when Simmons does return. Obviously, like I mentioned, the third line with Engvall, Hyman, and uh, McKayev have, have all of a sudden kind of sparked things lower in the Leafs lineup. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> if everybody can get going at once, this could be a very scary team. Uh, any line that you throw out there has get, got some offensive threat. So um, I do want to quickly talk about the Leafs week before I get into the Hyman stuff. But yeah. L- Obviously, the Leafs sweep the Oilers over the past week, uh, you know, shut down Connor McDavid. He doesn't have a single point in three games. Dreisaitl, I believe, had one point over that span. Um, and then they go into Vancouver and lose two game, two straight. Um, did they leave everything in, in, in Edmonton? Did they forget to pack the uh, the bag of wins? Or, <laughs> or uh, you know, what, what what's – this team, is it just maybe a little bit tired – dealing with a few bumps and bruises, as we mentioned. Um, Vancouver just seemed to have their number. Yeah. Um, I think the first game against the Vancouver Canucks, it was on a back-to-back. You can't really fault them for the loss. I think that, I think fatigue is setting in at this point for that game and the game that was just played yesterday, um, Saturday, where they lost 4-2. So I think it's a mix of both. I mean – how do you go from shutting out two of the best players in the league right now to struggling against a team that's way out of a playoff spot? And that's not to say that, I mean, the Canucks have great offensive weapons, but they were done Elias Pettersson. And I think that may have motivated them even more to say, Hey, one of our best players are out. We got to step our game up. And I think the Maple Leafs had two good first periods. It's just the last two, they played great for 20 minutes. And I think things started to fall apart after that. And my main thing is with the Leafs in the main difference against the Vancouver game was Vancouver got into the lanes more. They broke up plays. They held their own defensively. Yeah, Maple Leafs got shots on, but there were too many times where they were fumbling the puck, shots going into pads. Um you know, bad puck management, hopping over, making cue plays, and then leading the turnovers going the other way, which really hurt them in that 4-2 loss. So I think it's a mix of everything. I believe it was like five games in eight nights. Those are never fun. You're always on the go. It's all, And, you know, Jim Benning said it best. You're always, you know, playing, most likely playing the other night, every other night. And But the Maple Leafs came out of this road trip 3-2, and two, although maybe – Last night could have been a win. You could have had maybe six points instead of eight or six points is, uh, oh, oh my God, my math is bad. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> two and two is six, eight. Yeah. Maybe you could have had eight points out of a possible 10. There we go. That sounds better. Um, eight points out of 10, but it's, I, I do think fatigue set in. And I think it just got to a point where maybe they were getting too comfortable and maybe they just they couldn't get that foot back on the gas. They couldn't get anything going. But Vancouver did a good job making the most of their opportunities. It was I honestly, I think out of the four goals scored last night, three were bad defensive lapses. Um, The first goal, Bogosian got beat really quick outside. No one saw Brock Besser coming in from behind and he pops. It doesn't easy tap in. The second goal, it was more of like a def- or like traffic in front. Freddie had no chance. Um, 
Morgan Riley on that third goal, I don't know what he was looking at. I know he like everyone was losing track of the puck, but you know, you should be aware that a player is going to be in there trying to find that loose puck and JT Miller potted it and he should have tied him up. Should have been more aware of like where that puck was. I just think he, I, I think a lot of them thought that the puck was like, you know, up in the air, but you know what? You can't assume at that point. And then a turnover leading the Mills Hoglander's goal. I mean, it's just, everything just fell apart for them in that third period. And it just, it, it got to a boiling point, but now you have a chance to reset and come back strong on Monday. Yeah, I mean, uh, you talk about the goals. Also, I think the, the the turning point was the Nylander penalty, the delay of game. Obviously, the puck mm-hmm. uh, kind of flipped up on him, and, and there was no, no there was no attempt to shoot it out. But oh, um, no. the rules are the rules, and he, he took a penalty, and uh, that, that, to me, was the turning point. The Niles, the Niles Hoglander goal, I mean, there was absolutely no chance. Yeah. Absolutely no chance for Freddie. That was just an unbelievable shot and just goes to show you what this kid's really all about um, and, and what he's able to do. But yeah, I mean, it's just a tough break. And I think uh, going into Winnipeg, the team's going to be, you know, ready to, to kind of, um, you know, get things done again and, and get back into that win column. And I think we'll see, uh, we'll see things, uh, you know, change very quickly. The ties will change very quickly for this Leafs team and they'll get back in that win column. But one guy that has, and I've I've mentioned his name a few times already this episode. One guy that's really really stepped it up for the Leafs. Twenty uh, eight year old Zach Hyman, um, seven goals, fifteen points in twenty four games this season. A fifth round pick back in twenty ten, hundred twenty third overall. Has one hundred sixty seven points in three hundred twenty six career regular season games, and all with the Leafs. Even though he was a Florida draft pick. Um, He's a guy that I, I wrote a piece about over at the Hockey Writers uh, and looking back at the trade and, and what Toronto gave up for him. And and it, the trade was Greg McKaig for Zach Hyman in a conditional seventh-round pick, which the Leafs never saw because Hyman did uh, decide to re-sign with the Leafs. Mm-hmm. What a trade for the Leafs. Is this – I mentioned the third line and how he's been able to kind of get things going for McKaig and uh, – Hyman and what an important player he is to open up the ice. He forechecks, he gets in the grimy areas. He just does, he does everything. Um, all the intangibles. I mean, there's no question the Leafs won that deal, but how important, I mean, if you were to, to rank the importance of these players on the, on the Maple Leafs roster, where would Hyman rank for you in, in terms of being an, an important piece? Top five. I mean, there's if he is lower than a top five for you, I mean, okay, well, given that the Maple Leafs have Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander are going to be your top four. Anything less than five for Zach Hyman is just a slap in the face to him because he is the he is for the years where, you know, it's 2012, 2013, the Phil Kessel years, he's the kind of player with the drive, energy, and physical presence that they needed all along. And they finally got him when uh, they made the acquisition from Florida. Great piece, by the way. Really loved it. I read it a couple of times myself because I really loved it. Um, I, you Look at his numbers right now. I mean... His highest out of his goals for percentage is 64.52. 
highest as a leaf where he has 20 goal where he's been on for 20 goals for and 11 against highest expected goals for percentage 55.33 and highest scoring chances 54.04 slightly just compared to 5401 2016 17 sorry uh i lied um this is his second third best third best 54.04 and he's been over 54 percent for scoring chances High danger chances, that's his highest at 57.04. High danger goals for 64.71, highest four. He's getting into the dirty areas. He's getting his chances all around that lower home plate area, so to speak. And you saw what he did against the Edmonton Oilers. He was a force driving down low, getting to the net, crashing it. And you can't... You can't... It's hard to say where they would be without Zach Hyman because I think they would be in a different place. And his presence just solidifies it. And it's funny that you mentioned Zach Hyman right now. And it's coincidentally that you wrote about him because I believe um, it was against that uh, first Vancouver game where Darren Dreger was mentioning about contract extensions or contract figure for Zach Hyman. He can get at about five million, maybe even more. Does he deserve it? And would you do it? Oh, man, I think I think you have to. In in my mind, along with Matthews and Marner, he's one of the key pieces to to being part of this core. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Morgan Riley is the guy that you have to consider, uh, even though he's had some some issues. Um, in terms of his defensive play of late. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly do believe that you have to, you have to consider him as part of the, the core here. Uh, he, just the way that he's able to get things done. Um, the intangibles that he brings to the lineup. I, I would, I would think that he's going to be, he's going to be paid fairly well. Um, for, for what he does. But I mean, you have to consider the, the UFAs that this team has coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to bring back a guy like Zach Bogosian. Obviously, you know, you have to really consider Travis Boyd, Joe Thornton, who knows, but even if you do, he's under a million. Jason Spezza, again, another guy that who knows, but under a million, I can't see Jimmy VC coming back. Um, but I think your most important UFA uh, for next season aside from Frederick Anderson, whether you decide to bring him back or not, will be Zach Hyman. And at, at this point in time, he's a guy that you're going to have to pay, and you're going to have to pay significantly. Um, you know, right now he's making less than a guy like Alexander Kerfoot. To me, I think he brings more to the lineup than Alex Kerfoot does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Kerfoot's 3.5. Um, even if you move a guy like Kerfoot, Hyman's going to have an argument to say, hey, look, I'm a guy that's worth four, 4.25. Um, and, and, you know, I, at this point in time, I would stand by him at, uh, on that number as well. Yeah, I think five would kind of, for me personally, like when I heard the term, I think maybe five could be a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But four, 4.5, 
is where I think he deserves to get paid. He deserves an increase or double up of what he's doing because he's making an impact, both his underlying numbers and offensively. And his impact on the penalty kill and his ability, well, not necessarily ability, but, you know, in those game situations where they're pressing for, you know, it's an empty net situation and he's there to, you know, outmuscle a guy to get an empty net goal. He's value. And, you know, um, whether whatever the number is going to be, I know Kyle Dewis is going to like make it work and it's going to be fitting because, you know, he's he's very smart. And also Brendan Pridham working the numbers, working out the cap hit and everything like that. Those two are in constant contact with each other. But I I think at the most four point five. Yeah, is gonna I, be his next contract, I think I think you could see four point two five, four point five is where we're looking at. Um mm-hmm. We'll save this clip, and when he signs for 4.5, we'll let everybody know that we called it first. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, just uh, I, I think he's he's a, a significant player, and I think that Toronto needs to keep him in the lineup. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just I, I want to go back to my piece for a second on the on the trade. Yeah. Um, I, I did have one response to it where a guy said, you know, I talked a little bit about how. Uh, it was a big move for Hunter um, making that trade because at the time, I believe Hunter and Dubas were both in the front office, both making decisions. I don't think there was any clear-cut GM, although they both had input. Um, and he he was, you know, constantly coming back with, it was Dubas, it was Dubas, it was Dubas. Dubas said it was him. Um, I guess this guy, you know, obviously he's not friends with Kyle Dubas, but... I guess he assumes he's friends with Kyle Dubas. Um, that that being said, I did I did let give him the opportunity to to send in a a voice clip uh, of of you know kind of defending his point that it is uh, Dubas and and told him that I would play it on the podcast and and you and I could kind of go back and forth on the issue. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, he chose not to. He said, "Why would I do that when all 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 uh, evidence points to it being Kyle Dubas and." you know, kind of touched on Dubas being a, uh, a close friend of Hyman, uh, through his early junior years and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, long story short, you had your chance. You, you decided to not speak up. I call this a move. Uh, I, I call it a hunter move with Dubas input. Um, yeah. I think at the time it was, it was both of them in the front office and, and, uh, they were both having a little bit of input on on what moves were made, and I do believe Dubas had a big role in bringing Hyman over. I don't believe Dub or Dubas would be the guy that I would say was the GM at the time that we traded for Zach Hyman. Um, so, anyways, I just wanted to make that point. Um, obviously, this guy is probably not going to listen to the show, but more than welcome to come back <laughs> and, and and join us if he wants to uh, have his input as well. Definitely, yeah, and. You know what? I mean, I no comments. Just no yeah, comments. <laughs> absolute pigeon in my books, but that you know, it is what it is. Um. Anyways, going forward, uh, I just want to quickly note. I don't want to get into this too much, but quickly note: Mark Andre Flurry last night, Saturday night, did record his 65th uh, career shutout. Uh, surpassing Henrik Lundqvist for 16th sole possession of 16th all time. Um, on top of that, Ryan Miller uh, recorded his 390 or 89th career win. 
Um, he is now tied with Don Mikhoshik for 14th on the all-time list for wins. Uh, so, so two notes that I did miss in the uh, the opening before we jumped over to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, our tweet of the week, uh, something that we have kind of gotten into the last little bit. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, there seven eyewitness news record uh, did uh, did say that uh, breaking Erie County and Pagula Sports and Entertainment are opening a mass COVID nineteen vaccination site at the KeyBank Center in Buffalo. Uh, Mike Taylor uh, on Twitter responded to it saying, "So you're saying we're finally going to see shots at KeyBank Arena?" Hashtag Sabers. <laughs> I just thought that was uh, that was pretty fantastic. Oh man! So uh, that's uh, always a good way to end the show. Um, with that, I do want to close out the show, Peter. Anything that uh, you want to let our listeners know about before we uh, say our goodbyes? Um, that was great. Um, wow. Uh, talk about like getting roasted right there. Um. Wow, I can't believe you just mentioned or just said that, or that was actually even said. But that that was actually a good one. Um, in all seriousness, I mean, uh, great that they're like opening up as like a vaccination site, though. Um, good on them. The vaccines are rolling out, especially here up north. Um, it's it's it looks like it's coming to an end. We're not there yet, but you know what? We're in the process. We're nearing the end right now. Just keep everything up. Stay safe. And in regards to work coming out, I'm shifting my focus to some draft content. Uh, my March rankings, I'm going to try and get them out maybe this week. And I'm also working on something for the Maple Leafs after through 30 games so far this season. Uh, how about you, Andrew? Well, just a note on the vaccination. I was uh, informed by my lovely wife uh, yesterday that... Uh, as a retail worker, I will will be part of phase two of the vaccination. So that's uh, that's huge news for us. Awesome. Both of us are part of uh, that phase two movement. Um, so great news there. As you said, things look like they are starting to come to a close. Um, but aside from that, uh, right now I'm actually working on a piece on Patrick Kane's 400th uh, career goal. Um, and uh, I will obviously be jumping into the draft profiles as we get ready for the 2021 NHL draft. Um, aside from that, I want to thank you all again for joining us for episode 30 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Uh, you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes, or you can follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod S T I X I N T H E the number six I X P O D, or you can head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast to download our latest episodes and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that we can continue to bring you all kinds of content moving forward. Other than that, until next time, Peter, another great week in the books, and we look forward to talking to you all next week for episode 31. Absolutely. Can't wait and stay safe.